Keep your precepts. The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Lord, help us as your people to live as those who have committed to the belief that you are our portion, that you are our sufficient one, that you are the source of all that we have. I pray, Lord, that our lives would be a reflection of those truths and that we would be able to, this morning, be encouraged in our walks with you to live what we say we believe. Father, I pray that our hearts would be quick to hear, that we would be convicted in those areas where we aren't fulfilling what we say we believe. And Lord, in those areas where discouragement has come in, we would be encouraged. In those areas where we've seen your faithfulness time and time again, cause it to be a reminder to not stop doing what we believe you've called us to do. Lord, just pray that your peace and joy would rest in this room this morning, that um, we would all be able to hear. We come against any distractions the devil would try to bring. Give me clarity, I pray, to speak your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So this morning's sermon is titled, My Portion, My Portion. And I, I feel like there was a commentary that I was reading, and he had a really good set of questions. Two, one set of questions is answered by verses 57 through 60, and the second set of questions, of question, the second question is answered by 61 through 64. So what are these questions? The first question is, how do we react to one who is all-sufficient? How do we react to one who is all-sufficient? And the second question is, how do I live in relation to one whose love is everywhere? How do I live in relation to one whose love is found everywhere? So starting in verse 57, we really get the theme of this passage. He says, the Lord is my portion. Not something else, not someone else, but the Lord. And it's interesting, if you look from verse 57 to verse 64, we have again the Lord. So it's like a sandwich with the Lord on each end. So the Lord is his portion. And what does he mean when he says portion? This is a very interesting word. It's not just like my portion of food. Like, okay, you go through the cafeteria line, they portion out the food to you. That's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about your portion of a physical inheritance. Now, this is my portion of my parents' things. This is my portion of money. This is my portion of whatever. He's actually talking about land. This word is 
almost exclusively used in the Old Testament to refer to land. And so it, it began to th- make me think <clears throat> about the Levites. Because right? the Levites are said to have no portion in the land. See, that word is used there. And what does the Bible say about the Levites? Well, look with me quickly in Joshua chapter 13. Joshua chapter 13 in verse 14. So, leading up to this, Joshua has divided the land of Canaan, which is the promised land, between all the tribes, and then it gets to verse 14. It says, Only to the tribe of Levi he did not give an inheritance. Why? Why would they not get an inheritance? Why would they not be apportioned or given a portion of land? Well, this is why. The offerings by fire to the Lord, the God of Israel, are their inheritance as he spoke to them. So they inherit, the children of Israel, their inheritance is the Lord himself. And you say, well, how can you come to that conclusion? Well, just look down at verse 33. So, well, let's read 32 first. These are the territories which Moses apportioned for an inheritance in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho to the east. But to the tribe of Levi... Moses did not give an inheritance. The Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance. And so their portion was the Lord himself. So when David is saying, the Lord is my portion, he's saying, you can take all the land that I have, and it's nothing, but the Lord is my portion. Now, why is land such a big thing? It's something you own. It's something that belongs to you. can't be taken, well, depends on who the rulers of your people are, right? Because we saw what Ahab did to get land that he wanted. He took the portion that didn't belong to him, the vineyard that was not his, But often we read people saying, well, you need to get land and you need to have a water source and you need to have all this so that if all things go to pot, you can provide for yourself. Is that saying that God is their portion? Not really. Not that we shouldn't have land. I have a little bit of land. But... My portion is not that land. My portion is the Lord. He gave me that land in total honesty. That is His gift to me. So if the Lord is my portion, if He is better to me than land or, or any other thing that I could receive, how should I now live? How do I react to the fact that God... In my words, I'm saying that God is my portion. Because this phrase here, I have promised to, is actually, I have said. 
So what is the psalmist saying? He's saying, I have said the Lord is my portion. And this is one time when I'm going to disagree with the NASB. I don't believe he says, I promise to keep your words. That's not what he said. If you look at the Hebrew text, the accents put the word, I have promised or I have said with the Lord is my portion. That's, he's, he's essentially saying, I have said this. I have said the Lord is my portion. So what is that cause? Well, we have four things that the psalmist does in reaction to the fact that he said the Lord is his portion. And the first thing is obedience. Obedience. So, if you or I, if we are saying that God is our portion, we should be obedient. Right? The psalmist says at the end of verse 57, he says, I keep your words. That's what, it, it, what he's saying. Because I have said that you are my portion, I keep your words. How many of us know Christians or those who claim to be Christians and they don't keep the words of the Lord. They live however they want, and they say, well, I said a prayer once. Is that sufficient for us as believers? It's not. It's, it's not. The psalmist is laying out what a true believer looks like. A true believer is one who keeps the words of God. Remember Jesus? He said, I, my sheep, hear my voice, and they follow me. How can we follow him if we don't know his words? If we're not doing what he commands? That's what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commands. That's not popular in the hyper-grace churches that are abundant in our nation today. But they're true to the scriptures. We can't stop obeying just because we said a prayer. Obedience is the result of belief that God is our portion. So do we keep His commands? Are we truly, like the psalmist as we've seen up to this point, hungering and thirsting for the Lord? Are we digging into His Word? Because not only do we love Him, but we want to obey Him. Obedience is actually a desire of our heart instead of, oh, I can't stand obedience, like some young children are. Right? They, they choose obedience when it's beneficial for them. Are we like that? Do we only choose, choose to obey God when it's a beneficial thing to us? Are we only honest with others when... We know they won't find out? Or when we know they'll find out if I'm not honest? Or am I honest with people no matter what happens? No matter what information is out there? Secondly, the psalmist wholly seeks the favor of the Lord. You look at verse 58, he says, I sought your favor with all my heart. 
So not only does he obey the Lord, but he's actually wanting God's favor, his grace to be upon him. Right? Because he says, secondly, be gracious to me according to your word. Not according to my desire. Not according to the desires of this world. Not according to my thoughts, even in my opinions. Be gracious to me according to what your word has said. So the psalmist is desiring favor, which is God's grace, and he's seeking it with all his heart. So how do we seek his favor? Seems like he's talking about prayer. Right? We're praying the word to the Lord. Right? Because that's what he's saying. If he's saying according to your word, he's saying according to your promises. You remember the promises you made, Lord? Remember this in Deuteronomy? Do you remember this in, in Joshua? Do you remember this from this passage and, and so on? So I believe when we're seeking the favor of the Lord with all of our heart, we're seeking according to his word. We're going to his word and, and we're seeing those promises and we're laying them out before the Lord like Hezekiah. Lord, I need your favor. I, I, I am nothing. I deserve what I'm getting right now. But God, you are faithful. You promised, remember? You promised that if I'm your child, that you will heal me. You will deliver me. You will set me free from bondage. Oftentimes, I, th- I think the problem is not that we don't seek God's favor. We don't seek it with all of our hearts. More times than not, it's a popcorn prayer. You know, just 50 seconds and b- move on. Right? We, we don't understand intercessory prayer in the Western world. We don't have time for that. Isn't it amazing that in one of the most technologically automated societies on earth that now we have all these things doing stuff for us and somehow we still don't have a lot of time. The automation has actually made it less likely that we spend time with the Lord because the technology is so enticing. This passage especially convicts me because I know this is not true of me at all times. There are many times when I want the Lord's grace and favor on my life, but I spend two seconds asking for it. I don't actually dig into His Word and, and see what His Word says and then bring that before the Lord. Lord, I, I'm in this situation. I don't know what to do, but You have said that You will give Your wisdom, and I'm going to cry out and spend time seeking Your face. Because I want to know your word. Do we do that? I don't, I don't know. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord and, and what God is calling you to do. But if you want his favor, seek with all your heart. Not just some little bit of time. Oftentimes we throw up the popcorn prayer, then we go find our solution elsewhere. Right? 
We've already determined before we pray to God what we're going to do, and we're just asking Him to put His blessing on our plans. <laughs> but God is saying to seek His favor and His grace according to His Word, not according to our plans. So, if the Lord is our portion, we will obey Him and we will seek Him with all our heart because we need His grace and favor. Thirdly, we repent, or we have repentant self-reflection. And see that here in verse 59. It says, I considered my ways. This word considered can also be translated reckoned. I, I look at my ways. Now, why in the world would he do that? Was it because everything was bad in his life? Isn't that how typically people start to reflect? Man, everything's going wrong in my life. What's going on? It doesn't seem, the psalmist doesn't give us that idea. But he's constantly considering his ways. He's not just doing it on occasion. He's doing it purposely. Because why? Why would he consider his ways? Why would he reckon his ways? Well, it says here, and I'll, I'll go to a translation that I, I like to, of this verse, that I may turn my feet to you. That I may turn my feet to you. So he considers his ways. Why? What's the purpose of doing such a thing? So that his feet would be turned in the ways of the Lord. What does that mean? So that he would walk to the Lord. That's what repentance is, right? We're, we're going in one direction and we realize that's not the Lord ahead of us. That's the world or that's whatever other idol that's there. And we turn our feet for the purpose of following after God. And so, the psalmist is considering his ways, and he's reflecting, he's looking at his life, and how do you think he's, how does he come to this solution that he's in the right path? The Word of God. He's not letting everyone around him, oh, you're, you're such a good person, You'll be okay. No, he's going to the Word because, yeah, there are people out there that would be happy to uh, speak evil of you. Just get on Facebook and you can find those people or Twitter or whatever uh, social media site you want to get on. But most people who are friends with us are not honest. Well, they're honest to their view, but in reality, we need people who are honest with us even when we don't like it. I have a friend in Guatemala, I, I call her my Guatemalan mom because she would always tell me what I didn't want to hear when I needed to hear it, <laughs> uh, which my mom has always done to me anyways. Um, <laughs> sometimes things that we didn't agree on, but that doesn't matter. The thing is, is a true relationship is one that is built on truth. It's always going to be built on truth. And so 
we, when we're considering our ways, we should have good counsel. We should have friends who we know will tell us the truth even when we don't want to hear the truth. But more importantly, we need to consider our ways by the Word of God. Because if we consider our ways only by the opinion of an infallible uh, man, then is it possible that our feet could be turned but not to the Lord exactly? Maybe we're a couple degrees off and in a hundred miles, you're a pretty far distance, right? If I start in Los Angeles and I'm saying I'm going to New York as a pilot, but I'm three degrees to the south, where am I going to end up? D.C.? <laughs> you know, if I do the same amount of flight time, I'm going to be like, man, I see a obelisk down there. Is that, is that D.C.? I, I thought I was going to, to New York. Well, the problem is, he started out at the right place, and he was going generally in the right direction, but his direction was just a far enough off that he ended up in a city hundreds of miles away. In the Christian walk, we need to be sure that our feet are turned to the Lord. He says, turn my feet to your testimonies, to your word. Because if our feet are turned to his testimonies, we'll make it to our destination. We'll make it to New York from Los Angeles. We may encounter turbulence. We may encounter bad storms. We may nearly fall out of the sky, but we will make it to our destination because our feet are turned to the Lord's testimonies, not to our opinions. And our lives will be lives that are pointing to a repentant heart. Because we are reflecting. We're not waiting till all things are going wrong in our life and then be like, okay, Lord, I haven't talked to you for a couple of years, but um, something's going on in my life and I need to figure out what it's going on so I can get everything straightened up and I won't talk to you for another couple of years. That, that's how a lot of people deal with uh, situations as Christians. But the psalmist is in a constant state of considering and reflecting upon himself so that he can turn his feet to the Word of God and to walk in the paths of God, the straight and narrow way. So the psalmist obeys. He seeks with all his heart and he has a repentant self Reflection. And finally, we see in verse 60, it says, I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. And this really ties in with the first point. But it's, let me see the word I used here. I couldn't remember. Immediate obedience. That's the fourth point. Not just obedience, it is immediate obedience. But he says, I hastened, like I quickly, I with great haste went and did not delay to keep your commandments. Right? So he he sought the favor of the Lord and, and he had that repentant heart to 
turn his feet to the testimonies of God. He didn't say, you know what, I'll wait till January 1st to start this uh, new diet of following the Lord. No, he, he did it immediately. He didn't wait till there was a group of people doing it. He didn't wait till it was popular. He didn't wait till everything in his life was settled down, which will never happen, by the way, um, unless the devil wants you to think it's settled down, which would never be good. So he didn't wait till it was possible to do. He, he did it immediately. Isn't that how often we don't do it? I feel like that's the opposite of, we want a, a set date and, and, and the Lord shows us sin and we're like, well, that won't be convenient this weekend because I'm going out with friends. Or that won't be convenient this, this month because, man, if I, if I start a commitment to really get in the Word of God this month, then you know, I might actually have to not go on all these trips or whatever it may be do, you, that you're doing. I'm too busy to obey the Lord right now. Let's, let's wait till things slow down. But the psalmist didn't. He, he said, the Lord is my portion. He's everything that I need. Now, if the Lord is truly everything that we need, then we know that His commands are everything we need and that they will guide us in every way that we need to go. And so we are quick Oh, Lord, I want to be walking in your way, so I will quickly adjust the way I'm walking. I'm not sure what annoys a parent more, disobedience or delay disobedience. Just this weekend, I've had multiple children asked to put shoes on and the obedience was delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. And that really bothers me. But how much more does it bother the Lord when the Lord says, put your shoes on, have your feet shod with the gospel of peace, put them on, put on your armor, Put on your helmet. Put these things on. And yet we're, we're oh, over here putting um, straws and apples. And we, we found a toy book, book to play with. And, and we're, I know that sounds very infantile, but really that's what we're doing, right? We're, we're finding anything to do other than that. So instead of having these things that kids do, we, we're over here on Facebook and and we're over here on our computer checking uh, football scores and, and basketball scores. And we're, we're over here on Pinterest. This is for the women. If you're a man and you're on it, no offense. Because um, all those other ones were me. So, um, <laughs> But we can so easily find something to distract us from doing what we know God has commanded us to do. And so... As Christians, we have to make a commitment. Lord, I'm going to obey at the moment that you convict me. And we'll have to repent, I'm sure, when we don't. But making a commitment to obey no matter what is going on and what is happening. What if the Lord convicted you at a moment 
and said, you need to tell your daughter you're sorry that you did that. Or your wife or your husband or your son or whomever, your parents. What if it's in a group of people and God's saying, you need to repent. And you're like, but I don't want people to know that I said that. Lord's like, I'm telling you to repent. Are we going to do that? Are we, are we willing to risk being thought the wrong way because we did what the Lord commanded? We should. If He is our portion, if He truly is the provider, if we're not looking to man as the provider of our needs and all that we need, then we should be quick, not delaying to obey. I think as Christians, a lot of times we know what obedience looks like. We just have a hard time implementing it. We have a hard time starting to obey. It's a natural tendency. We see it in our children, our grandchildren. And it's something that has to be trained. You know, I have to tell my kids, I don't want to find out five minutes from now that you didn't obey. I want you to obey right now. Well, I got to do this first. No, I want you to do what I just said first. Then you can do that. But obey first. And I think that tendency carries over into the Christian walk. We need our minds to be retrained, our our bodies to become one with the Lord and really looking to Him as our portion. My children would not eat if. God, through me, hadn't provided for them. Right now, I'm their, kind of their portion. Right? He, he has used me and Megan as their, their providers. That's a very, very good picture. So, we've answered the question, how do we react? Or how do we live in, in light of the fact that God is our portion? But, now we need to ask, answer the question, how do I live in relation to the fact that God, it says that, his, that the earth is filled with His love. So the world we live in, there are aspects of God's love throughout the earth. That's what it's saying. Right there in verse 64 it says, the earth is full of your loving kindness. Full of it. How do, we, how do we even think about such a magnificent thought? That His love is throughout the earth. It's actually quite mind-blowing in my mind. So if the love of God is throughout the earth... How do we how we how do we live in relation to that? Well, let, let's see some some examples here. He starts in verse sixty one. So we have a world where wickedness is rampant, right? We see that he says, "The cords of the wicked have encircled me." Just imagine a rodeo horse rider. You know they they go to get the calves. They throw the lasso around the calf and then they jump off and, and tie the feet up. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Those guys are fast. I mean, 
But I, that's kind of how I imagine, picture in my mind, you know, the, the ropes or the cords of the wicked are wrapped around us. We just don't feel like there's any way out. Right? How do we respond to the fact that God's love is throughout the earth? Like, how do we respond glorifying God? I mean, we said God is our portion, but when this happens, when this circumstances where we're encircled roundabout by the wicked and their plots and schemes, what do we do? Well, we commit to remember His Word. Right? See that there at the second half of verse 61? He says, But I have not forgotten your law. If you don't want to forget, you need to commit to remember. He has not forgotten. So no matter how bad the situation gets, if we have committed to remember the Word of God, then in those situations we won't quit. We won't give up and say, you know what, this Christian walk is not worth it. it is, this is too much. I don't want anything to do with this anymore. No, we, we committed to it because we love the Lord. And because we remember His Word, we don't give up when we feel like that calf at the rodeo who can't do anything because he's all tied up. Do you remember why rodeo riders do that? Like why it became a thing? Why would they tie up a calf like that, do you think? To brand it. Isn't that what the devil's trying to do when he wraps us up? He wants to brand us as his. But if God is our word, and he's our portion, then he has already branded us. And we don't have to forget that God has redeemed us from the pit of destruction. He's brought us out of the clay that we were in. He's made us new creatures in Christ. And when we remember that, we say, I don't care what the world says, they can all come against me, but I will stick to God because he has branded me his. I think that is an encouragement to me. It's so easy in our world to give up. To say, you know what? It's not worth it being a Christian anymore. It's not popular. Well, newsflash, it hasn't been popular except in a very short period of time. And at very short intervals. I mean, there's been periods of time in history where Christianity was the popular religion. But generally speaking, it always reverts back to unpopular. Why? Because men do not love God. It's against our nature unless we are born again. Secondly, after committing to remember His Word, the psalmist is make, he makes time to glorify Him, to praise Him. And we see that in verse 62, he says, At midnight, or in the middle of the night, is the word-for-word word translation, In the middle of the night, I will rise and give thanks to you. 
This word rise up just makes me think. He's in the middle of the night sleeping, and he just decides, you know what, I'm going to get up and praise you. Have you had that happen? I have to be honest, I haven't. But what is the psalmist doing? He's saying, I'm going to make time, no matter what is going on in my life, to praise you. Even if I have to get up in the middle of the night, I'm going to get up and praise you because I don't care what's going on. Because sometimes, too, there's, there's some imagery here. The night is typically the bad time of the day, right? Nothing good happens at night, they say. But even at the night, when it's dark and gloomy and there's really no reason to praise God, he's going to get up and praise Him. He's not going to let the time of day keep him from praising the Lord, to thanking Him for what He's done. He is going to praise him and continue to do it. It's not just a one-time thing. I will continually praise you. I will continually give thanks to you. Why? Because his judgments are righteous. Or, as it's translated here, because of your righteous ordinances. He sees God's word and it just brings praise to him, gratitude to him, of God's love for him, God's care for him, God's promises for him. He can't help but praise him. And he's going to make time to do it. Even if it has to be at midnight. Again, a lot of these things are... It's not like we're, they're new to us, I don't think. We've thought about these things before, but I think the way the psalmist has set out this passage is just a reminder to us of what happens when we believe that God is our portion and that we realize that God's love is throughout the earth. That no matter what situation we are in, we can sense His presence and His love with us. Why? Because we are His. He is our portion and we are His. Right? The children of Levi, they were called His. His priests. They were the redeemed. So, if you don't remember this from the Old Testament, when the people of Israel came out, they had to redeem every every firstborn. Not, and we're not talking about Passover. They had to redeem every firstborn, and so for every firstborn, there had to be one Levite. But unfortunately, there weren't enough Levites, so they had to sacrifice a bunch of animals for the remainder of the firstborn. So each Levite was as though. They were given to the Lord as a belonging. They were His, just taking the place of the firstborn of Israel. So of every tribe, the Levites were a replacement for the firstborn. Sons. And then the rest was a sacrifice. So when it said that the Levites were His, the Levites 
the Lord was their portion? It's because they had been given to the Lord. And we are, through Christ, given to the Lord. He is our portion. And so when we're going through difficulty, when the cords of the wicked are round about us, we remember the Lord and His love is everlasting and throughout the earth because we haven't forgotten His law. We haven't forgotten His word. We want to rise up in the middle of the night because we remember that God is righteous and that all He does is righteous. And then thirdly, the psalmist and we make friends with people who fear the Lord. Make friends with people who fear the Lord. It's easy to forget the love of the Lord when you're alone. When you feel like there's no no one else out there. But the psalmist says in verse 63, he says, I am a companion of all those who fear you. Or verse 3, or that can be translated revere. And he goes on to describe those people. He says, those people and of those who keep your precepts. So how, does, how do we know someone fears the Lord? They keep the word of God. Just like the psalmist. He's saying, I, I am friends of those people. What is he friends of? What is he not friends of? Well, look with me at Psalm 1. See, see who he doesn't hang out with. That doesn't mean we don't witness to unbelievers. It says this in verse 1, he says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He's not hanging out with the wicked to get their counsel. He's not going to the wicked to find out which way to go. Where is he going? The Word of God. He's setting his feet to walk in the testimonies of God. Secondly, he says, Nor stand in the path of sinners. What does that mean? He's not on the path that sinners are walking on. He's not hanging out in their their ways. Why? Because his feet have been directed to the testimonies of God and he is not delaying to obey God. Nor sit in the seat of scoffers. He's not sitting around with people making fun of the righteous. That's what a scoffer does. Oh, who does he think he is? He must think he's something. Obeying God like that, or he's a he's a teacher's pet, right? Or he just wants everybody to like him. Apparently it didn't work for the scoffers, they don't like him. But that those are the people he he's not hanging out with that crowd. No, his companionship. Those that he calls friends are people who love the Lord, who fear the Lord, who trust the Lord. And he knows that because they 
keep the Lord's precepts. So, my question is, is the Lord our portion? Because if He is, then verse 64 is something that we can't forget. The Lord is our portion. Verse 64 says, The earth is full of your loving kindness. Has there ever been a time when you thought, I don't know where the love of God is? Those circumstances, sickness, whatever. There are many times when it's hard to remember that God's loving kindness fills the earth. But it is. And this loving kindness is His covenant love, that, that Hesed love that we talked about. It's a love that does not end. It is not a love that is here today and gone tomorrow. It's the covenant love of God. So you want to have hope when the wicked encircle you? You want to have peace in the middle of the night? So much so that you praise the Lord? Then remember the loving kindness of the Lord is all around us. May not seem like it, but God is directing our steps for His glory and for our good, not just one or the other. And we should be able to ask, Teach me your statutes, O Lord. If we love the Lord and His Word, then we will be able to say, You are my portion. I don't need anything else. I'm thankful for all that God has given me, but if He is not my portion, you can have the vehicles, the house, the land, the gold, the money, the silver, whatever it is. You can have all that. Because if He is not my portion, I am done. I have nothing. But because He's my portion, I will obey Him I'll seek Him with all my heart and His favor. I will be constantly looking at my life and repenting before the Lord and, and turning my ways again to Him. And I'll do it immediately. And when those hard times come, I'm, I'm not going to forget the Word of the Lord. I'm going to make time to glorify Him and I'm going to make sure that there are people in my life who love the Lord, that they're my companions, not this world. Not that we can't, again, be witnesses to the world. We should be. But if all the people we hang out with are not Christians and not following the Lord, who do you think is going to win that battle? Not us. I pray that we will Look at our lives and determine, are we living as though God is our portion? Are we living according to God's word and seeking to please him because we need him, because we cannot live without him? Let's pray. Lord, give us the grace to Do what your word says, to obey you, 
to seek your favor with all of our heart. We can't do that on our own. Lord, to be truthfully reflective in our own lives, to see the sin that you hate, and to make commitments, Lord, to turn from that sin immediately and to walk in your ways. Or so that we won't forget your word when the difficult times come and and that we would uh, be able to praise you no matter what situation or time of day. Lord, we need you and we need people in our lives that love you as well. Guide us, Lord, by your spirit. Give us courage to live according to your word. Give us courage to not quit. Give us peace to rely on you as all that we need. May you be our portion today and every day of our lives. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Have anything to share before we dismiss? Okay. Well, I, I pray that you're encouraged to live, not only say the right things, but to, to live as though they're true. Um, there's a disease in this world where we like to talk a lot, good talk, but don't want to live it. And um, I think the reason that people ask for the reason of your hope is when you live it out, even though it doesn't seem to be working at the time. Because if we live as though God is our portion in the hard times, that's when people will start asking, how can you be hopeful in this time? How can you have peace and joy and seem to still have a life of of a walk with God? How is that possible? And that's when we have an opportunity to share the good news of Christ with the world. So, if our God is only worthwhile to be served when everything is going good, we are to be pitied because a God who cannot be served in the difficult times is a God that should not be served at any time, in my opinion. But I think that's the God we serve should be served at all times. So have a blessed day.